Please turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1, if, you, if you're using the Black Bibles, that can be found on page 178. I mentioned last week that we were at a good spot um, in our study through the Gospel of Matthew to take a break from Matthew, and, and in that break, I, I wanted to get us into the Old Testament and do a study through Joshua. So in last week's sermon, we studied the historical context so I won't get into much of that today, we, but we specifically focused on how God prepared Joshua, Joshua the man, the son of Nun, for this moment. Moses had led Israel for more than 40 years. And, and again, just, just try to put yourself where Joshua is, where the people of Israel are as we open up Joshua 1 now. Moses had led Israel for 40 plus years, really. And under the leadership of Moses, God had delivered Israel from slavery in Egypt. God had entered into a covenant with Israel as a nation, as a people. God had led them through the wilderness to the edge of of the land of Canaan, the land that he promised to give to Abraham and his descendants. And we saw last week that that first generation of Israelites, even as they got up to the edge of the promised land, they did not trust God. They did not... Trust that God would keep his promises and give them the land. They saw the, the opposition. They saw the mighty nations that inhabited the land and they were, they were scared. And so God judged them and made them wander in the wilderness for 40 years while every adult except Joshua and Caleb, the two spies who believed the Lord, every other adult would die then in the wilderness. And so now the book of Joshua begins after that 40 years, after the... Uh, the, the new generation, the next generation of Israelites have, have once again come upon the edge of the promised land. In Deuteronomy, we have Moses um, recounting the, the, the covenant and all the laws and, and, and really even the, the history of what God has done for them. And then now Moses has died and they're left with Joshua. Um, So now under the leadership of Joshua, God will fulfill his promise by giving the Israelites the land of Canaan. So as we start the book of Joshua, they're on the edge. They haven't even crossed the Jordan. They haven't even entered into the promised land. But when we get to the end of the book of Joshua, uh, they will have conquered much of the land and, and all of the land will have been allotted to the 12 tribes of Israel. So before we dive in specifically to chapter 1, I just want to... I don't know if you'd call it themes, or, but just kind of also explain what we want to be thinking about as we study the book of Joshua. Like, why study the book of Joshua? Why study this Old Testament book? Well, for one, this Joshua provides us an important piece in God's grand story of redemption, right? So we're, as we study this, let us be reminded that these events really took place. I mean, this is this is true history, right? This is, this is history of, of God's working with his people and, and, and keeping his promises and preserving a remnant and, and so on, right? So this is an important piece in the, in the timeline of, of the history of redemption. But then even in addition to that, why would we want to study the book of Joshua? And I have a couple more points to reasons to give you. One, the book of Joshua reveals to us the unchanging character of God. 
right? Even though we're now in the Old Testament, even though we're now under the Old Covenant, it, it, the God that we're studying about here in Joshua is the same God that we worship today the, the, through Jesus Christ. So let us remember as we, as we study, I mentioned this last week, that as we go through the book of Joshua, we'll be talking about Joshua the man a lot, certainly, but he is not the hero of this book, right? God is the hero of the book. And so this book will, will teach us about the character of God, and through this study, I trust that we'll see the power of God, the grace and mercy of God, the faithfulness of God to his promises, and then here's another important thing to consider as we, study, as we begin the study on Joshua. Again, think about what the New Testament teaches us. Think about what Jesus himself said about the Old Testament, how it all points to him, right? All the Bible points to the work and person of Christ, okay? So Joshua specifically, let's talk about how it does that. Well, even the name Joshua means the Lord is salvation. And Jesus is another form of that same name. The name Jesus is another form of the name Joshua. <laughs> so if ever there was a, uh, something that should remind us about Jesus, it's the book of Joshua, right? The promised land that they're entering into, right? The, the land that God had promised to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and, and their descendants. The promised land is often described as a place of rest, and the New Testament teaches us in Hebrews 4.8. Okay, I really encourage you to go back and I've mentioned it a few times, but read Hebrews 3, read Hebrews 4. But specifically in Hebrews 4.8, the, the Bible says that Joshua leading the Israelites into the promised land points ahead to our Joshua, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has provided our rest. And it describes that rest as the salvation of our souls. So as we, and we'll see it even in the passage today, the, as the promised land is described as a place of rest, we should be thinking about how in Christ we have true rest for our souls. You say, well, what does that mean? Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 11? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly. You'll find rest for your souls. That's the rest we have. We have true rest for our souls. We, we have rest because we're no longer trying to earn God's favor. The gospel gives us rest. The work of Christ gives us rest because in Christ we know that we are loved by God and that we're declared righteous because of God's grace and because of the finished work of Christ. And so we have true rest and so we should be thinking about that whenever we hear the promised land described as a place of rest. Like, wow, we have rest for our souls. And along those lines, and here's another kind of cool thing about the book of Joshua as it pertains to the Christian life in, in the New Covenant, right? Israel's history, right? Remember, true history. Israel's history of possessing the promised land is a picture of the Christian life. It's a picture of how we, as Christians, are to strive to grow in Christ's likeness and come into further possession of our riches in Christ. Right? There'll be a lot of talk about taking possession of the land, taking possession of the land. Well, for us, we're called to take possession of all that Christ has won for us through the cross. 
We've already entered into the beginnings of our rest, right? The rest for our souls. But now we're still called to work out our salvation, to go forth in faith and obedience. And like Israel, we have lessons to learn about that, don't we? We, we have lessons to learn. We need to grow in, the, in, in, in uh, exercising faith and obedience, So I hope that makes sense. What we're studying really happened in the history of Israel, but it's also a picture for us of the Christian life. And so we'll be able to draw some some truths and some principles from that. God is powerful. God is faithful. We'll see his faithfulness to, to the nation of Israel. We're reminded of what the New Testament says, that he who began a good work in us is faithful to complete it. And so I trust that God will, will grow us even as we study Joshua. And as we seek to grow then in the grace and knowledge of Christ, another thing the book of Joshua reminds us is that we too are in a battle. Not a physical battle like Israel was, right? I mean, theirs was a physical battle. I mean, they're using swords and spears and, right, against the, the Canaanite nations. But we are in a spiritual battle. And that's something we, we too often forget. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Loved ones, we have an enemy of our souls. Satan. And he, he hates Jesus. He hates God's people. He hates Christians. And he wages war on our souls. And so until we reach the the fullness of our rest, until we reach that final rest of the new heavens and the new earth in, in Christ's final kingdom, we are called to put on our gospel armor and stand firm in the strength of the Lord. And so may may those truths be a reminder to us as we study the book of Joshua. Now, if you wanted a title for this whole series. I would call it every promise fulfilled. Toward the end of the book in in Joshua 23, as Joshua's kind of giving his last words to Israel before he dies, he says, uh, Joshua 23, 14, Now I'm about to go the way of all the earth. And you know with all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. What a statement, right? Not one Of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. And then he says, every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. That's Jeremiah 23, 14. So again, if you wanted a name for this series, I would call it Every Promise Fulfilled. All right, so that I I hope kind of sets sets our course here. Now let's let's, uh, turn our attention to Joshua chapter 1. Today... Um, we're just going to go through the whole chapter and I'll just read it as we go through it. So um, again, we thank God for his word and may he give us ears to hear this morning. Now what's interesting as you, be, as you look at the very first verse of Joshua 1, we don't see it in our English translations, but in the original text, the very first word is actually and. <laughs> because it's a continuation of what's just happened in Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy 34, you say, well, what was going on at the end of Deuteronomy? We read some of this last week, 
But what you have is Moses has gone up in Deuteronomy 34. Moses has gone up on the top of Mount Nebo. God allows him to look over into the promised land. He himself is not going to be allowed to enter it, but God lets him see it. And then he dies. And God himself buries Moses. And then the nation of Israel mourns and weeps for Moses for 30 days. And that brings us then to Joshua 1. So again, put yourself in Joshua's shoes. Put yourself in the shoes of the nation of Israel. Right? Think of what a great and unique leader that Moses was. Matter of fact, Deuteronomy 34.10 says, There has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to do. Moses was a unique Leader, He had a unique relationship with God. So think of how great the loss was for Israel as now that Moses has died. I'm sure there was some uncertainty in their, in their thinking, although we did see that, that um, God has prepared them for this, right? God has made it clear that he was raising up Joshua to take his place. But nevertheless, they've had the same leader for over 40 years. So this is a time of great loss. This is a time of great change. This is a time of great transition for Israel. I think some of us can relate to that, can't we? (laughs) Right? I mean, that's something about life, isn't it? It's always changing. There's there's always transitions happening. There's, There's oftentimes loss happening. And so we have to say, well, what are we... What are we going to do when that happens? Where are we going to turn? Where, where, where are we going to look? And obviously the answer is we need to look to the Lord, right? He's our rock. He's, he's our unchanging God. And so we look to Christ and the gospel during those times of transition. So let's look at verse 1 then. Joshua 1.1. 1, 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord. What a great way to be described, right? The servant of the Lord. The Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, verse 2, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. You see what God's saying? I mean, he's, he's kind of like, okay, guys, okay, Joshua, specifically, the time of mourning is over. It's time to get back to, to work here. It's time to do the next thing that, that is, is before you. And again, we saw last week how God made it clear through Moses that Joshua would be, would be the next leader. Again, Deuteronomy 34 tells us that Moses had actually laid his hands on Joshua, kind of symbolically passing the, the, the leadership baton to Joshua. So God's been preparing Joshua to take over. The people know that Joshua is to be the new leader. He's, he's an old man now too by this time, right? But still imagine if you're Joshua. Imagine what Joshua's feeling right now. As he, right, Moses is dead. He's looking out over this multitude of people that he's now in charge of, so to speak, right? And now he's looking out over the promised land and he's thinking, we've got to go into there. And we've got to defeat all those nations. Right? And these are not just like hillbilly nations or something, right? I mean, these are advanced nations with, with war, uh, what do you want to say, sophisticated you know, technology of the time. And, and we've got to go in there and defeat them. 
I think he was, he was looking at the people he's responsible for. I think he was looking at the mountain of the task in front of him. And I think he was probably a little anxious. And I think he was probably a little scared. And so here in chapter 1, we're going to see, and the emphasis is of God encouraging Joshua. And even using the people to encourage Joshua as God commissions Joshua, as, as God charges Joshua to, to take up this task now and lead the people. And so the title of the sermon this morning is Commissioned by God. Commissioned by God. I want to work through the text and highlight four points that would have encouraged and also equipped Joshua for the task that God was calling him to do. And I trust that these four points would all, will also encourage and equip us as we follow Christ this morning. So number one is the surety of God's promise. The surety of God's promise. Look at what God says in verse 3. Right? He's, he's commanded him to, to go, to, take, to lead the people into the land now. And now in verse 3, he, he gives, encourages him. It says, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. Right? He laid out all the dimensions of the land, and he says, every place you walk, I have given it to you, just as I promised to Moses. And actually, the prom- this promise to give them the land actually goes a lot further back than just Moses, right? Because look down at verse 6. He says, be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Their fathers. That's talking about how the promise goes all the way back to Abraham or Abram. Right? This is the land that God promised long ago to Abraham and then to Isaac and then to Jacob. And you can read about that in Genesis 12 where God calls this pagan man named Abram out of Ur. And he says, leave this place and go to a land that I will show you when you get there. And then in Genesis 15, he ratifies the covenant. In Genesis 17, he he reiterates the covenant. And, And really there were three promises that came with that covenant to Abraham. He said, your descendants will inherit the land of Canaan. Your descendants will become a great nation. And through your seed, through your descendants, the whole earth will be blessed. Well, they've already become a great nation. We know that the, the ultimate seed through whom all uh, peoples of the earth would be blessed is, is Christ. Right? Paul makes that clear in Galatians. And so now, here in Joshua, God is fulfilling that promise about inheriting the land of Canaan. And as you, as you read through Genesis, you see not only does God give the... the Keep reiterating that that promise to Abraham. He reiterates it to Isaac. He says it again to Jacob. He he says it to Moses. It's it's God's commitment to those promises is why God is acting and moving even throughout the book of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. God is faithful to his promises. His commitment to his covenant promises led God to deliver the Israelites out of Egypt out of their bondage in Egypt. God's commitment to his covenant promises kept God from wiping out the Israelites when they broke the covenant with him with the golden calf that we read about last week. God always keeps his promises. We talked about that in our Sunday school class not too long ago. God cannot lie. He is faithful to his promises. 
Because, again, it's against his very nature to lie and because his glory is at stake. And so God always acts for the good of his people and the glory of his name. So that should encourage us. And again, that's the, really the, the grand theme we're going to see throughout the book of Joshua is every promise is fulfilled. God is faithful to his promises. And we certainly see that played out in the New Testament, don't we? We've seen that in our study through Matthew. As Matthew has highlighted how Jesus is, is fulfilling a lot of the prophecies that were given years before. God kept his promise to send the Messiah the first time. We know God's going to keep his promise to, for the return of Jesus as well. To complete our salvation. To gather us to himself to eternal glory. And to create the new heavens and the new earth. So God is faithful to his promises. I hope that in, encourages you. As you follow Christ today. So here in Joshua 1. The time has come for God to fulfill his promise. To give his people the land. Look again at verse 3. I just wanted to highlight the promise part. Now let's look at what else he says. Verse 3. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon. I have given to you. Just as I promised to Moses. You see how... how how rock solid this promise is. Even though they haven't possessed it yet, God is already talking in the past tense. I've given it to you. <laughs> He's showing how certain this is. This is going to happen. It's already been given to you. And then he talks about the dimensions. From the wilderness, in, uh, verse 4, from the wilderness and this Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, Toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. Joshua, he's saying, my promise is sure. I've given you the land. It shall be yours. I know you may be overwhelmed right now. I know you may be thinking about all the armies that you're going to face and all the cities that you're going to need to be, have to overthrow. But, verse 5, he says, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. So God is promising Joshua, I'm going to deliver all these nations into your hands. Yes, left to himself, the task would be insurmountable. It would be impossible for Joshua left to himself in his own strength. But God promises to give Joshua the victory. And again, this was a huge task. You know, when we read, last week we read about the, the 12 spies that Moses had sent in, right? And how only Joshua and Caleb believed that God would keep his promises. The other ten spies, they weren't wrong in the fact that they were saying, man, the, the nations are huge. You know, this is a big task. They weren't wrong about that part of it. But what they were wrong about was not trusting God to keep his promises. Right? So yes, this is a big task. But God has promised. And he is faithful. He promised this land to Moses. He promised this land to the patriarchs and their descendants. And now he's saying the time has come for me to fulfill that promise. So again, the promise of God is sure. Now notice, God not only promises Joshua victory and then possession of the land, but he also promises to be with Joshua throughout this. Look at the middle of verse 5. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. That leads us to the second point here today. 
not only have we seen the surety of God's promise, but number two, the confidence from God's presence. The confidence that comes from knowing that God is with us. Again, think about Joshua. And those of you who are in any kind of leadership role, you know that it's kind of lonely at the top, right? I mean, there's even an expression about that, right? It's kind of lonely when you're the leader. You you feel alone. You feel all this pressure. You feel like all the eyes are looking at you, right? And, and this is new for Joshua. I mean, for over 40 years, Joshua had been by Moses' side, right? Moses could kind of be the, where the buck stopped, so to speak. But now Moses is dead. And, but God is telling Joshua, you're not all alone, though. Even though Moses, my servant, is gone, you are not alone because I am with you. And I love the way he says it. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Wow. What incredible encouragement and promise. I mean, Joshua had seen how God was with Moses. And I'm, Joshua knew Moses' story, right? I mean, he knew the writings of Moses. He, he no doubt knew the story of God calling Moses at the burning bush. And it's interesting that you look at Joshua 1 and you think about uh, how God's encouraging Joshua here. And then how it parallels how God encouraged Moses back in Exodus 3. Think back to that. When Moses was faced with this daunting, overwhelming task When Moses says to God in Exodus 3.11, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Right, He's talking to God in the burning bush. Verse 12, God said, But I will be with you, Exodus 3.12. Joshua knew that account. And again, he had witnessed God being with Moses through all the, the, the trials and tribulations. He had seen God give Moses wisdom and courage and perseverance to lead the people. And now God graciously promises Joshua that same ministry, that same blessing. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And notice this promise of God's presence specifically is to give Joshua confidence. Look down at verse 9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, do not be dismayed, for, here's the reason, the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You see the connection? He's saying, Joshua, be strong, be courageous, don't be frightened, don't be dismayed because the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The Lord, Yahweh, the self-existent creator, the one with steadfast love, the one who's faithful to his covenants, he is the giver and sustainer of your life. He is with you. He is for you. And he's going to be with you wherever you go. No matter how perplexing the decisions you face, Joshua. No matter how daunting the task seems. No matter how formidable the foe before you, God is with you. What encouragement that would have been to Joshua, right? When all the eyes of of the Israelite army are looking to him for his decision, for his leadership, for for his faith. He can know I'm not alone. Almighty God is with me. And that gives Joshua confidence to do what God is calling him to do. And loved ones, the same is true for us today. God is with us. Hasn't he demonstrated that, right? Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. He came and lived among us. He became one of us, taking upon himself a human nature to save us. And now he's with us by his indwelling spirit. 
I mean, can you get any more with us than to live inside of us? God is with us. No matter what kind of transition you're facing, right? Like Israel was, like Joshua was. No matter what kind of battle you're in, no matter what kind of just, just daily task is before you, as you follow Christ, God is with you. No matter how overwhelming the circumstances seem, God is with us, loving us, strengthening us, providing all we need. What a blessing that is. Young people, when you go out into to college or into the, um, your, your first job, and, and you're one, one of the only believers there, know that you're not alone, right? God is with you. And men and women, as you go into your jobs now, and you may be the only Christian in that office, as you go to that family reunion, you may be the only, <laughs> the only believers at that family reunion, right? God is with you. God is with you. Cling to him. Depend on him. Fellowship with him. And he'll help you do what he's calling you to do. So we've seen the surety of God's promise, the confidence that comes from God's presence. Thirdly, then, the centrality of God's word. The centrality of God's word. Verse 7. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. The centrality of God's word, the book of the law, the first five books of Moses. Again, Joshua knew those. He may have helped Moses write, write those, you know, I mean, transcribe them or whatever. He, God is saying that law should be kept in your heart, in your mind. You need to meditate on it. You need to literally be, be speaking it, muttering it, in the, in the sense of chewing on it, pondering it thinking about it, loving it, cherishing it, hiding it in your heart because the law will keep you, Joshua, on the right path. The law will remind you of the history of God and his faithfulness to his people. The law will remind you of God's promises that are before you as you move ahead. These are the things you should be focusing on, Joshua. The centrality of God's word. God tells Joshua to, to be Soaking up his Bible, the Bible he had at the time. I want you to, I, I wish I had, a, had put it in a slide to show you, but maybe you've heard of a chiastic structure in, 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 as you study the Bible. It's where, you know, you, you have one point and then it's repeated down here and then you have a second point point. it's repeated here and it goes through and it highlights whatever's in the center. They call that a chiasm, okay? Well, we have one in verses 5 through 9. I'll try to just show it to you verbally here. Look at verses 5 through 9. I want you to see what is at the heart. What is at the center? What is God emphasizing here to Joshua? Verse 5. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Right? Just as I was with uh, Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. 
Look at the end of verse 9. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Okay, so there's two like things. Let's move in. Verse 6. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Let's go back to the other end. Verse 9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. Okay, those two things match. Let's go in again. Being careful to do according to all the, the law that my servant... Um, that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right, to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. Then we look at, at the end of verse 8. It's the same thing. Um, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. So those two things match. What does that leave us? What's at the center? What's at the bullseye? What's being emphasized here? The beginning of verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. That's the point he was driving home to Joshua. As he was getting ready to take up this mantle of leadership, as he's getting ready to lead the people into the promised land. Love God's word. Don't let it depart from you. Joshua, are you scared? Do you lack wisdom? Do you lack courage? Love God's word. Do you, are, is your faith weak? Are you... Are you Uh, nervous about what stands before you. Love God's word. Meditate on it. How instructive is that for us? We need to, the Bible is where we should go when we need courage. The Bible is where we should go when we need faith. When we need to be reminded about the promises of God. When we need to be reminded about God and his character, his faithfulness, his love, the work of Christ. We need to go to the Bible. We need to meditate on it. I've been convicted about this lately. You know, it's like just getting back to the basics of memorizing God's word. Right? Why is it we struggle with anxiety? Why is it we struggle with, with getting distracted and, and, and we wish, oh, I wish my love was more on fire for God. Meditate on God's word. Someone told me about a, a Bible app today or sorry, not today, this week, about scripture memory. I mean, we have so many tools that we can use, right? Many of us grew up in the era of of just the flashcards, whatever it is. Memorize God's word, loved ones. Meditate on it. That'll give you courage. That'll give you faith as you follow Christ. Remember, we're in a battle, right? And the enemy and the world is pumping us with lies all the time. What are we meditating on? Do we spend more time on on the lies of this world? Is that what we pour into our soul? Is that what we're chewing on all the time? Or are we chewing on God's word? May God help us. I need to move on here. Verse 10. Joshua now tells. So that first half, verses 1 through 9, was was God commanding and encouraging Joshua. Now we see immediately now in verse 10, Joshua obeys. Now he's going to command the people But God's not done encouraging Joshua. He's still going to, through the people, keep encouraging Joshua too, which is kind of cool. Verse 10, Joshua immediately obeys. Uh, Joshua commanded the officers of of the people, verse 11, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Right? So again, Joshua says, all right, let's do this. All right. And now this leads me to their final heading here. We're going to see this play out in verses 12 and following. 
the partnership of God's people. The partnership of God's people. Verse 12, and to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, remember the word that the... That Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them. And to the Lord gives rest to your brothers. There's that word, rest, right? To the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they, they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it. The land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. Okay, what is going on here, right? Well, first let's talk about the tribes, right? Remember, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob's name is changed to Israel. Jacob has 12 sons, become the 12 tribes of Israel, more or less. But one of those sons, Joseph, had two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And Jacob blesses the two grandsons. He he treats, he kind of... I don't know if you want to say skips Joseph, but he kind of, yeah, through Joseph says, I'm going to bless these two grandsons as if they're my sons. That's why Manasseh is called the half-tribe of Manasseh. It's kind of like the, the blessing got parsed down and divided between Manasseh and Ephraim. So that's why, the, the, in case you're wondering why it's called the half-tribe of Manasseh. But what it's up with these three tribes or two and a half tribes, however you want to describe them, well, in Numbers 32, before the Israelites got to the promised land that first time, we read that these three groups were, were like, you know, we, like, we actually like this land right here, <laughs> you know? Uh, I know we're headed toward Canaan, but, you know, can this land right here be our inheritance? And at first, when they asked that, Moses was actually angry because he thought they were, for one, giving up on God fulfilling his promise to give them the land, Right? So he's like, don't you trust God? And then also Moses was concerned that them doing that would dishearten and discourage the other tribes because it's like you're, you're kind of bailing out on your people here, right? You know, we're supposed to all go in together and take this, this land of Canaan. And so, you know, God helped Moses work through that. And what Moses, I don't know if you want to say conceded, but he's, he granted them their request under this condition. He said, fine, you three Groups, you can have this land here, and, and, even, and your women and children can even go ahead and settle here. But when it comes time for us to go into the, the land, you fighting men are going to come with us and help your brothers fight. Okay? So, you know, that had a, a, that had a potential of being a very um, disunifying thing that God preserved the unity and kept it together. Well, now a whole generation has passed, <laughs> Right? And Joshua's reminding these guys, hey, remember the agreement that was made, right? So you guys keep your word and you do this. And the people assure Joshua of their cooperation, of their obedience in verse 16. In fact, they say it three ways here, don't they? Verse 16, all that you've commanded us we will do. Wherever you send us we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Doesn't that sound great? I mean, kids, isn't that what you say to your parents every, every day, right? You know, whatever you say, I'm going to do, wherever you, whatever chore you give me, whatever time you tell me to go to bed, whatever time you tell me to put down my phone, I'm going to do it, you know? This wholehearted obedience, I love it. But that's what, you know, that's what they're saying to, 
to Joshua here. I'm sure their heart's in the right place. We might be a little skeptical because we know the story and we know our own human nature, right? But nevertheless, I'm sure that was encouraging that they're, they're on board, right? They're saying, yes, we're going to do this. So I'm sure Joshua was glad to hear that. Not only do the people assure Joshua of their obedience, but they actually, like I said, offer encouragement to Joshua. God speaking through them, right? right? You know, to encourage him. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. All right, here we go. The people of Israel are unified. They're submissive to the leader that God's appointed. They're ready to work together as the people of God to possess the land that God has given them. And that's where the chapter ends. And so we'll wrap our sermon up today as well. But I just wanted to close by, again, I entitled the sermon Commissioned by God because that's what is taking place here, right? Many of our Bibles even say that. God commissions Joshua as the heading. And it, and it reminded me that We've all been commissioned by God as well, haven't we? We heard it in our scripture reading today in Matthew 28. Every one of us who are disciples of Christ have been commissioned by God as well. The risen Lord Jesus Christ, to whom all authority has been given, has called us to, let me just read Matthew 28, 19, to go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so I think these four headings, again, should encourage us as we seek to follow Christ, as we seek to make disciples of the Lord, uh, to make disciples of Christ by following Christ, right, to the glory of God. May those points encourage you because they, they are applicable to us as well. The surety of God's promise the confidence from his presence, the centrality of his word, the partnership of God's people. Together, loved ones, as we make disciples by following the Lord Jesus Christ to the glory of God, we too have the sure promises of God in the gospel. Right? As we seek to fulfill the the mission we've been given, to go and make disciples, to take the gospel to our families and to our friends. To the nations, we have the sure promises that Jesus has paid it all, that Christ has defeated sin and death, that God is sovereignly drawing people to himself through the gospel. So may that encourage you as you do this. May that encourage you as you seek to sow the word of God. Keep the word of God central, right? As we evangelize, as we disciple our kids and our families and ourselves, May we be saturating our minds with the word of God. And, and I was encouraged to think about how we do this together, right? We do this as a body of Christ. The New Testament talks a lot about that, that we, we encourage one another as we follow Christ together. We speak gospel truth to one another. We serve one another. We help each other grow as we're using the gifts and, and, and being mouthpieces of God's word to each other. So be encouraged that as you do this, have the confidence that God is with you. God is with you as you make disciples. Fathers, Jesus is with you, giving you courage as you seek to lead your family for Christ. 
I know what that's like, right? I know that we feel so inadequate. We feel so insecure. You, you, you try to open up the Bible after, the, after dinner and, and, you know, you think, oh, there's a hundred distractions here. And I, yeah, just have confidence. God is with you. God is with you to help you. Have faith. Parents, Jesus is with you, giving you faith as you teach your kids the word of God day after day. I thank God for how many of you sow into the word of God into your kids. And I know we, sometimes you wonder, is it, is it doing anything? Is it doing anything? Just have faith and pray. Keep sowing the word of God. Pray for God to give them hearts to receive it. Christian, Jesus is with you and comforting you as you share in his sufferings. Right? We suffer because we live in a fallen world, and, and sometimes we suffer because of trying to make disciples. Right? You know, maybe you, you try to witness to a neighbor or a friend, and, and they shut you down, or, or whatever, whatever it looks like for you. But know that there's a special fellowship. There's a special sense of God's presence that's with you as you share in Christ's sufferings that way. Lastly, Christian, Jesus is with you as you follow him. Jesus is with you, loving you, giving you strength, giving you joy as you daily deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him to the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we praise you that you are faithful to your promises. We praise you that you are a personal covenant-making God that, that loves to show grace and love to your people. We praise you that you are, again, a God who dwells among your people. Oh, God, we are... We, we know it and we believe it, but we, we still are amazed to think that you've come to make us your, your temple. That individually we're the temple of the Holy Spirit, that corporately we're the temple of the Holy Spirit as well, that, that you dwell among us in a special way. Oh God, help us to be holy and, and a, a, a sanctified, set-apart temple for your use, to be a display of your glory. Help us to, to walk with you and by faith. Encourage us and, and, and strengthen us, Lord, for what you're calling us to do. May, may you um, give us a, a, a renewed faithfulness to this mission to make disciples, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Let's stand together and we'll conclude with another song of praise.